0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In uh, an act of great mercy by God, the Almighty Father, the gospel today, which comes from the gospel of Matthew, dovetails with the gospel upon which I'll have to preach at the noon Mass, which comes from the gospel of Mark. It's Matthew 15. Here at the 1030 Mass, it's Mark 7 at the noon mass. It's Mark 7, the last half of the chapter, which actually fills in the details from the first half of Matthew 15, which we're reading today. So in, in this gospel, we're reading really the second section of Matthew 15. The first section is our Lord dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came out from Jerusalem, basically. Um, to be scolded by him. They didn't realize that's why they went out, but that's what happened. In, In response to that exchange, our Lord goes away from that region over to the Decapolis, to Tyre and Sidon, to an area where the Jews aren't living. And that's where he meets this Canaanite woman. When he's done with that, he returns back to the Sea of Galilee area the Gospel of Matthew only tells us that he healed many, many people. He went up into the hills, and people brought the sick and the lame to him, and he healed many, many people. Mark 7 gives us a detail about those healings, which we don't find in any other Gospel. So I encourage you, when you when you go home, to, to pick up Matthew 15 and compare it to Mark 6, and they, they overlap. The gospel of Luke doesn't talk about these uh, particular events, nor does the Gospel of John, which we wouldn't expect. The first thing that catches our attention already, just in reading Matthew 15, is how our Lord is responding to this foreigner, even though he's in her land, he's in her territory. Listen carefully, or reread it carefully Ordinarily, when you hear his words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you assume probably that he's talking to her. If we look diligently, we'll see actually, more likely, it's our Lord's disciples who came to him and asked him, Please send her away. She's off at some distance, right? We know that she's off at some distance because afterwards it says she came to him, she comes even closer. So she's off at some distance not just pleading have pity on me Lord son of David. She's probably shouting. She's probably making quite a racket. Because even from a distance he can hear her. The disciples come to Jesus and say please send her away. And he replies to them. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Maybe they brought that message back to her. Maybe just out of sheer persistence, she comes to him, and not with resentment, to do him homage. She's not coming saying, give me my rights. She's coming him to say, please have mercy on me. I know you have the power And I know that that power hasn't, hasn't been unleashed on me yet. That doesn't make me bitter or angry. I come to you begging for your help. And what does our Lord do? Now his words directly to her, they definitely get our attention. He says to her, it is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. He's not giving her immediately what she wants, even after she's done him homage. He's not insulting her as much as he's pointing out the fact she doesn't belong to the chosen people. What she's asking for is something almost beyond what's proper. Not exactly, he doesn't send her away, but he he tests her faith. He, he strengthens her faith. faith. Please, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Hopefully, you hear it over and over again and are reminded frequently, we are adopted children of God. By baptism, we become sons and daughters of God the Father. We have a noble dignity. That means those who are not baptized have the potential of becoming sons and daughters of God, made in the image and likeness of the Holy Trinity for certain. It doesn't mean that they, have, that they lack any dignity whatsoever. That we need to remember as well. How do we treat those who are not of us? How do we treat those who are not of our family, who are not part of this people of God, this chosen people of God, not because of our race, but because of God's choosing it? because of adoption, not because of a choice we've made as much as because of a choice that God has made to open salvation, to open his kingdom to all creatures with a rational soul made with body and soul as human beings. How do we treat all of them? We should have an an eagerness to bring people into the fold of the church it is God's will that every human being be baptized, that every human being have a sacramental life and be a part of this church, this visible body of Christ. In the meantime, there is still good that we can do for them. There are still ways that we can help them. It's not as though the only thing we can do for people who aren't yet Catholic is to tell them, well, become Catholic, and then there are things that I can do for you. Come into the church, and then there, then there are things that, you know, that will be helpful. Whether it be priests who have to think about our sacramental ministry, and, and not only reminding ourselves and each other, but also those who could benefit from, for instance, any baptized Christian, even if they're not in full communion with the church, if they're in danger of death, they can and should receive the sacrament. They can and should receive the Sacrament of Confession and the Sacrament of the Anointing of the Sick. That means they need to know about it ahead of time so they can ask for it. Or in our desire to promote marriage, do we have an awareness of of what a valid marriage really is, whether it be a natural marriage between non-Christians Or sacramental marriage, where both are baptized? Do we promote marriage? Do we encourage people to marry well? To marry validly? To marry in a way which is in conformity to the plan of God? Or do we have this clannish notion that does not come from any text of the church, that unless it's a Catholic marriage, it's not a real marriage? So while we encourage people and pray for people to come into the church, do we still have a regard for how I can help them right now? How the church can be of benefit to them right now? He makes our work. This would be similar to someone who comes and and wants to have their children baptized. Okay, well, not so quick. Let's ask a few questions. Is this child going to be raised in the faith? Is this child going to be lived in a household where the faith is lived? It's not to make things difficult, but it's to deepen people's commitment to what is about to happen. They're not just about to receive a gift, they they are about to be brought into a deeper relationship. Here then we continue, Matthew 15 at verse 28, stops with this scene with the woman and our Lord comes back. He goes to the hill and they heal many people. This is where Mark 7 picks up. He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears And he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Only St. Mark tells us about that particular healing in its details. Only the gospel of St. Mark uses that word, Ephatha, St. Mark uses Aramaic a few times, telling us the exact words, the exact sound that Jesus made to these people whom he was healing. When you read it, when and I know you've heard it before, you 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 assume first and foremost that he's saying "effat they be opened." He's talking to the man's ears, which is true. Pope Benedict also pointed out that. Beautifully and mysteriously, he's looking up to heaven when he says, be opened. He's also speaking to the heavenly host, be opened, Unleash the power and grace to heal this man. It's not just a thing that's about to be transferred from one to another. Because the word epithet, although primarily it means be opened, it also means be connected. What is about to happen here is a deeper relationship. Christ commands heaven and he commands earth. But notice too that he didn't just make the Canaanite woman work and struggle. He allowed himself to have to work and to have to struggle. He groaned. He didn't just wave his hand at this man. He put his finger into the man's ears. He spat on his finger, he touched his tongue with his own spittle. It's as though the Lord allowed himself to do this miracle in in the most difficult way, the most inconvenient at least. He doesn't just tell us, I'm gonna sit here comfortably and you have to do all the work. Not at all. If we saw heaven open, we would realize that heaven is doing most of the work. He's simply looking for us a willingness, an openness, a desire, A desire that means I didn't just ask once, it meant I asked over and over again because it was something that I loved. He needs to for us to be willing to take up our cross. He needs for us to be willing to suffer and sacrifice. And then he will open heaven. He's already opened the door and we belong to his people. But one day, it will be open and unveiled for us. In moments such as this, at Mass, we we see the veil pulled back just briefly. We have a glimpse. We have a taste. We have a sense that our Lord truly is here. Thank goodness that he's willing to suffer and to struggle and and to bid from us, to beckon from us, a deeper faith and a greater desire. So that we are asking not just for some comfort from him now, but everlasting life with him in heaven forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.